Welcome to episode 2 of How Could We, a podcast by EIT Climate Geek, hosted by me and Sophie Garico. In our first episode, we talked to Daniel Timmer about the role forests can play in building a climate-resilient future and his work for the Climate Smart Forest Economy Program, a collaborative initiative from EIT Climate Geek, the World Economic Forum and the World Resource Institute, which aims to protect, maintain and manage forests while helping create further incentive for restoration and reforestation. In this second episode, we'll be talking about setting up a climate-smart forest economy program in East Africa, learning more about what the timber market is like in the region, hearing about regional pioneers, and learning more about how the public perception of timber could affect markets' commercialization. Our guest today is Siaka William, a project manager for Dahlberg Advisors. Siaka is based in Tanzania and works on a range of development challenges such as improving food systems, providing access to quality education and employment and supporting the circular economy. He works together with the IT Climate Kick on the Climate Smart Forest Economy Program in East Africa. Hi, Siaka. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'm just going to start by asking you to introduce yourself and tell our listeners about your job, who you are and what you're doing. Thank you, Anne-Sophie. My name is Siaka William. I am a project manager with Dalberg Advisors, a global development consulting company. Together, we form the Dalberg Group, which helps problem solvers across the world address some of the most pressing problems that we face as, a, as humanity. Thank you. Can you tell me about how you started working together with EIT Climate Kick and what your role is in the project that you're collaborating together on? So one of the programs that is being incubated by Dalba Catalyst is called the Climate Smart Forest Economy Program. And through this program, uh, our objective is to demonstrate the feasibility for climate positive forest products. We've chosen mass timber as an initial target, uh, given the opportunities there to meet a growing demand for housing, but also substitute existing practices that are negative to the climate, particularly construction with steel and concrete, uh, with building with wood. Um, so through that program, we were working with Climate Kick. Uh, I was working with them to ensure that we're meeting the objectives of the program and to capture landings across all the initiatives What is the particularity of this project in East Africa? Sure. Um, so the project itself actually has a few initiatives in East Africa. We have uh, the initiative that I'm supporting, which is working with uh, BuildX and a few other uh, stakeholders to help develop the nascent industry, uh, particularly with knowledge uh, that will be needed to catalyze the industry. A key one is construction and forest projections to showcase demand supply of mass timber. We are also helping understand what the potential carbon impact could be and what the behaviors that we need to change should be to be able to fully realize this opportunity. There is another initiative which is happening with Easy Housing in Uganda. Uh, they're developing modular homes for refugee camps, but the hope is we can learn from them to create affordable mass timber products for housing. And then we have uh, the work that is being led by Climate Kick, which is the World Architects Rockstars. And this initiative is aimed at uh, equipping the next generation of builders with the skills they need to actually build with mass timber. In addition to helping equip them with those skills, we're also doing networking events to ensure that they're getting connected to people within our ecosystem. And in addition to that, the three initiatives combined are forming an informal value chain. So 
there's an informal value chain alliance where when the stakeholders are being brought together, encouraged to share learnings, given it's such a nascent industry, help each other out to make sure we are actually moving the needle across the region. So you already mentioned Mass Timber, and I think it's interesting for us to understand why timber is a good construction solution for East Africa and what exactly are you know the challenges. I'll I'll start with the opportunity itself. Mass timber in East Africa has multiple advantages. The key one being it is an opportunity for us to actually build a construction industry from the ground up. Historically, construction has been happening with concrete and steel. And historically, this has been uh, driven by imports. What we're trying to do is utilize locally available resources. We have a large supply of productive forests, particularly coming in from Uganda, to meet what is a growing need. We're, we're in a region that is experiencing high demographic growth. Uganda and Tanzania have some of the highest uh, population growth rates in the world and a very large housing deficit. And the hope is by leveraging the existing regional market and demand of a regional block, uh, we're actually going to make it feasible for someone to come in and put investments in manufacturing to actually have uh, the potential to source from different locations, which makes that opportunity more attractive. In terms of the challenges, it is a nascent industry. So we have challenges ranging from uh, your inputs. So one, even though we have uh, plenty of forest resources, most of them have been historically driven towards the paper and pulp industry. So you don't have as many species that are being planted thinking of construction in the back end. It is also a very informal value chain. Traceability is a key part in ensuring sustainability of the supply chain. We actually don't have any processing for mass timber items. One of our partners in the program, Easy Housing, created a facility to make mass timber panels, to make panels that are used for their modular homes. Um, so in, in the processing elements, we don't have uh, manufacturing facilities locally, which is a key challenge because if you are trying to build with mass timber, it means you have to import products, which uh, affects cost dynamics and also has an implication on the carbon advantage. We do have challenges with the market itself. So on one hand, the people who are building houses do not have the expertise, uh, the awareness to build with mass timber, which is why the Woodlocks, those architects, the climate cake is leading is really important. And then on the back end of that, the market uh, doesn't have an appreciation uh, of mass timber. So a lot of people from our behavioral change study view mass timber buildings as not structurally secure as your concrete and steel, uh, concerns around fire. People view it as, as a product for low, affordable, I wouldn't even say affordable housing, but basically low-cost housing. So yes, you mentioned already the importance of raising awareness of the builder and of the, the people living in the houses. So do you already have solutions on how to address this, this issue? There's some solutions that we've been addressing uh, at the program level. Some include the development of prototype houses to showcase people what an actual mass timber house could look like. So we have helped our partner Build X launch their prototype house uh, in Nairobi, and we're helping them think through what an investment in a flagship commercial building could look like and helping them facilitate investments in that. The behavioral change study uh, that we did highlighted a few potential items that could get us there, uh, including potentially behavioral change campaigns. 
some awareness building, some uh, development of thought leadership pieces, which we are doing uh, as part of our communications plan. I think before even we get to behavior change, we need to start doing awareness on mass timber. So there's a lot of questions when you ask people about mass timber, like, okay, what exactly does that mass timber do? What is glue lamb versus CLT? You are building with, with wood as in that cut down forest, for instance, which is a key question that uh, most people have, right? And the, the study actually has a great answer. What we are seeing is if you're able to promote a sustainable forest product that catalyzes investments in forests, which expands forest cover. So some elements of awareness building, particularly with key stakeholders, we're trying to do that. Separate to that, I think the key thing to unlock the market would be to facilitate domestic or regional value addition and processing. Because what we've seen from some of the modeling that has been as has happened is that if we're able to produce mass timber locally, we're actually going to be able to compete with concrete and steel, which is a game changer because we have a very price sensitive market. And if you're, offer, you're able to offer them a better product that has more climate benefits at parity, if not cheaper than uh, what they're used to, it is going to be easy to now move large segments of the market towards that. I think it's really important to highlight uh, the fact that it's local resources, right? So you're taking timber from forest in the region. And I think people imagine, you know, like bringing wood from like very far away. And it's very carbon intensive in, in the transport. I think regionalized sourcing is where uh, we as a program are, are coming to an alignment and a conclusion for, both because of the carbon element you mentioned, but also because of the economic opportunity there. Uh, increasingly, we're being asked to not view uh, carbon as separate, biodiversity as separate, socioeconomic impacts as separate. But as you're developing holistic interventions, how could you make things that actually provide benefits across the, the main areas of focus? So with producing locally, this actually has multiple benefits on local communities. You're able to create a market for them. So they will be employed in this productive forests. They will be employed in harvesting. They will be employed in, 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 in processing as well. In fact, Easy Housing has a great program where they've worked with local Ugandans and trained them to actually make the panels that they're using for their modular homes. Again, as you are creating long-term sustainable value chains, you want to ingrate it with the local communities. Uh, what we saw in Bamboo uh, has informed that, where you initially had people who were coming in with these plans. They set up a bamboo plantation, for instance, but... It is all for foreign-based. Uh, something like COVID happens, operations cease, and then all of a sudden you have abandoned plantations that no one is doing because the value chain is disconnected from the local realities. So a key part of our work is ensuring that we are creating local value chains. Thank you for mentioning the benefits on local communities. I think it's it's also something that we really want to highlight. You know, we want to make it about people, about how we build a desirable future for people. And I think it's super important when we talk about climate solution to talk again about people and how it's impacting the, the, the local communities. One question, when we're talking about building with timber in East Africa, are we talking about houses with just one floor or is it like several floors? What does it look like? Very good question. So our prototype home was actually just a single floor because it's easy to build a single floor. And if you're doing modular homes like what Easy Housing is doing, single floor, maximum uh, duplexes, like two floor buildings are what you could do. Uh, when you're making high-rise skyscrapers, the complexity of it goes up a notch or two. 
you require more investments in the CLT processing, in the design of the buildings, in the back end, uh, to make sure that they have structural integrity. But what we are seeing is that's where the most opportunity is. In countries like Kenya, for instance, where you have uh, not a lot of land, a growing population, promoting housing options that are only single floor actually lead to more harm by encouraging population spread. You're encouraging people to encroach in forests, which is not what we want to do. So our main focus is to actually promote this high-end, this high-rise skyscrapers. Actually, in Tanzania, uh, they just launched plans to build the highest wood skyscraper on the continent. I think it's going to be around 30 floors. It's going to be in Zanzibar. Uh, so that's the model we'll be going with. Not, not 30 floors just yet, but yeah, 10, 12 floor buildings to make sure we're actually maximizing the opportunities for carbon there. So inspiring. 30 floors. I know. Wow. It's a I bit mean... expensive though, sadly. <laughs> but once we start making these things locally, that price points will, will, will come down a lot. That's really interesting. And I think it brings us to our next question. Is there anything that policymakers in the region can do to support these pioneers, these programs? Yeah. We've seen policymakers provide a signal of demand, particularly in places like Europe, where a lot of local governments have access to green housing funds. You have EU regional funds. We've seen a lot of investments follow public declarations of commitments to building with mass timber. It's not always the case in our, in our locations, even though we've gotten positive uh, receptions from local policymakers, they don't necessarily have the funding in the back end to engage in such activities. Uh, but there's also opportunities for them even despite that. So one key one is actually providing, whether it's a tax incentive or some sort of uh, government-led incentive to support these developments. A good example is the building I told you about in Zanzibar. A key reason they were able to build not just this tower, but also a large-scale uh, neighborhood development around it is the government actually provided them tax incentives. Um, and it's also promised potential breaks if they're able to start manufacturing locally. In addition to some of these tax breaks, I think uh, awareness building is a key one from government stakeholders. There's awareness that they could do through public campaigns, housing campaigns, but a third one would actually be policy, supportive policy and regulations. So building codes in particular are key. Understand uh, creating room for builders to actually build with wood without penalizing them a lot. I had an interview this week with Masson Batio, is the lead of the UNFCCC Global Innovation Hub, and we were talking about climate solutions in African countries. And he was saying that Africa will be the provider of solutions, of climate solutions, because the continent doesn't have the choice to develop and they don't have the choice to develop in a cleaner way. And I just wanted to hear, you know, your idea on like this, the role of Africa to bring climate solutions. No, I agree with that completely. And I think... It will help us prevent the tragedy that has happened. And it's changing now, but particularly in carbon markets where Africa was seen as just a source, uh, a raw source of carbon sequestration and not considering sort of how do we ingrain local communities in that. So with Africa, from a program perspective, we actually have a large focus on the global south because that's where we see both the most housing need and the largest opportunity to change behaviors and promote better solutions. We've already started seeing that, uh, but I think for us to truly unlock the market, it comes down to that element of pricing. The way the market could evolve is 
must seem by seen as a high-end item for people who are very wealthy, for tourists, hotels and locations, which is still good, but it will really limit the opportunity, which is in unlocking this as a product that the average African, the average citizen can come and use. If we're able to unlock that, uh, what we see on the continent is a lot of innovation, innovations on product delivery, where what is applied elsewhere is usually taken and innovated into work on the local context. And that innovation is what allows for scale. But before we allow, before we get to that innovation, we have to make it as a, a product that people can aspire to and get. I think there will be a lot of opportunities to see innovations in building with wood, design of wood in different contexts, climate uh, related building with wood is a key one. Uh, most buildings with wood have been built for your global temperate regions. There's a lot of research that needs to be done around building in tropical locations. So there's a lot of opportunities for Africa to lead the innovation here. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eka. That was really, really interesting. I'm really glad that we had this time. Sounds good, Anne-Sophie. Thank you for making the time. Thank you so much to Siaka for a fascinating insight into the role forests play in East Africa and how public perceptions are important for its development. Join us next week for the final episode of the series. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at media at climate-kick.org. This episode was produced and written by Barbara Mendes-George. See you next time. <laughs>